Luke chapter 10, as we start a new series on neighboring. Uh, do you like the sign in the back? Yeah. Great job, Dave, by the way. I didn't get to say so. Great job. Uh, neighbors, Jesus told us in uh, the book of Matthew, where we'll start today, that uh, we are to be neighbors. We are to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Jesus told us to love our neighbors. Uh, he told us to, to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Uh, this is the, the greatest of the commandments. In fact, all the other commandments, I'll read these verses to you in a second, rest on these two. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, life begins with these things. If you're a Christ follower, this is how every day begins. Lord, help me to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help me to love others as I love myself. Help me to love them with your love. I don't know what you do as your routine in the morning. I get ready, get uh, headed towards the door, and then the last three things that I try to remember as I walk out are wallet, phone, and keys. Anybody with me? You gotta have your wallet, phone, and keys. Keys, absolutely, because I'm not driving that truck anywhere without them. This morning, I kid you not, I woke up, wallet, phone, no keys. I couldn't find my keys anywhere. It was very dark still as I was uh, heading to you know, start my routine on Sunday mornings. And, and so I'm looking out by the truck. Maybe I dropped them by the truck, you know, or the keys there. I, I, I went to the garbage can that I had thrown some garbage from my uh, truck out into. And uh, I dug through my garbage this morning before I got to church. Hey, I washed my hands. We're good. It's all good. Uh, I retraced my step. Who's been there? Retraced all my steps. Finally found them in the laundry room. <laughs> I had uh, done baptism last week and hung most of my wet clothes from the baptisms uh, in, in, in an area here at our church so that they could dry. They were dry after a week. I put them all in a, a grocery sack. And as I was carrying a bunch of things into the house, I had thrown my keys into the, uh, the, the laundry. And, and so I had thrown the laundry in the laundry room and just forgot this morning when I woke up. Found the keys, and then it was a go. I found the keys so I could leave. I, I think we should have that same approach to these things that Jesus taught us when we leave our homes in the morning. This is my mission. This is what I've been called to do. Jesus was asked here in Matthew chapter 22, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to this guy, he says, listen, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Uh, this is the great and first commandment. This is first and foremost, love God. But the second, he says, verse 39, is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. If loving God is your, your phone and your wallet, loving your neighbor is your keys, Make sure you do both. And he says in verse 40, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Two neighboring keys that come from those verses. Loving God comes first. It's our love for God that makes us able to love our neighbors effectively. In fact, I would tell you this. If you can't love God, if you can't have the love of God in you, your love for your neighbors is going to dissipate, wane. It's not going to be long lived for for at all because because you you'll, they'll do things to make you stop loving them they'll 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 react uh, in ways that that you'll say they're not lovely and so I'm not going to love them anymore but if the love of God is within you and if you desire to love people as an act of worship and as an act of love towards your God then uh, loving neighbors is possible so loving God comes first but as loving God comes first loving our neighbors is like it. Don't see this as like a, a stark one-two. It's like a 1A, 1B. It's not love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and if you can fit it in, love your neighbors. No, it, it's like it. It's on the same par with God that we would love our neighbors as we love ourselves. I, I think God does this 
uh, makes both commands because they're right and, and, and they're in line with his character. But he does it also as kind of a sign of, uh, of the one being present in the other. Here's what I mean. Christians can make a, a good show of saying that they love God. Uh, they can uh, sing the songs, raise their hands, pray the prayers, go to the Bible studies and life groups. They can make a good show uh, to everybody else around them that they truly love God. You can say that you love God. You can act in some ways like you love God, but, but nothing shows your love for God better than your love for people. If you want to evidence your love for God, you do it in the ways that you love his people. It's the same thing in marriage. I can say that I love Eleanor left and right, and I can uh, tell everybody that asks me, yeah, I love my wife, I have for 28 years, and um, you know, I, I, can, I can talk a good game, but it shows up in how I treat her. You know, if, if you want to see my love for Eleanor, come to my house. In the front yard is a 35-foot 1954 Royal Mansion Spartan trailer. That's not there because I want it. Uh, in fact, I don't want it. But I love my wife. Uh, I golf probably too much. There it is. <laughs> that was my wife. Uh, but she lets me do it. And, uh, and, and I think uh, enjoy, enjoys the fact that I enjoy that. And she does it not because she's particularly fond of golf or what it costs, but because she loves me. Uh, what we do reveals what we are. And if we say that we love God, it's going to show up in how we love his people. Jesus quoted uh, this, this uh, love others or love your neighbors as you love yourself from the law. He was speaking to a bunch of Jews here in Matthew chapter 22. 22 and so he used a verse from their own book that they would know and, uh, and tells them to love uh, their neighbors as they love themselves. It's interesting, I think, to kind of see where uh, the context of that verse comes from. If we go to Luke or Luke, Leviticus uh, chapter 19, starting in verse 9, we kind of get you know, the Old Testament's version of what a neighbor looks like. I think it's informative for our discussion this morning. Uh, God, through uh, Moses, wrote uh, the book of Leviticus, and, and in Leviticus, uh, we see God saying, when you reap the harvest of your land, and you shall not, you shall not reap uh, your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, uh, and you shall not strip your vineyard uh, bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard, you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. And then he signs his name. On every one of these uh, commands, he, he basically says, I'm the Lord. Sign God. Do this. And one of the first things that we see God saying in, in reference to being a neighbor is that we're to be generous. We're to be givers uh, to those that God loves, to his people. Uh, are you generous with your neighbors? Uh, I've learned to be generous at, at meal times with my friends. I spent a week with some good buddies up in South Carolina and uh, we, we had meals in, in the evening together and invariably someone would order an appetizer. Anybody like getting appetizers before the meal? It's a nice little, you know, Jerry, you with me? Yeah. Um, usually when I would order appetizers as a younger guy, it would be my appetizer. Like, you, you know, there's the menu, pal. If you want onion rings, order them for yourself, bro. Right? But as I've matured and grown, uh, I figured out that, you know, we could share. And, and so, uh, we, we would all order a bunch of different appetizers and everybody would share. It, this, don't you love being at that dinner? That's a fun dinner, right? It's not everybody like, oh. <laughs> being generous is being neighborly. Look what it says in verse 11. 
It says, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another, you shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. He says, listen, when it comes to you guys dealing with each other, be honest. One of the ways that you can love your neighbors is to be honest with them. Tell the truth. Don't mislead them for your own game. He goes, uh, go, for your own gain. He goes on in verse 13. He says, you shall not oppress your neighbor to rob him. The wages of a hard worker shall not remain with you all the night until the morning. Be fair with your neighbor when it comes to uh, the agreements that you have, whether it's for work done or, or uh, just anything. Be fair. Verse 14, well, you shall not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. He says, I am the Lord. If you ever wondered if God refers to the physically limited, the handicapped in society, he, he does right here. In the book of Leviticus, he tells the Jews, hey, don't look down on those who aren't able because of their physical infirmities to do as much as you provide for them, care for them. Uh, verse 15, he goes on, he says, you shall not do injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor, defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. And he signs his name one more time. He says, I am the Lord. When it comes to our neighbors, one of the ways that we could show love for them is doing right by them, living in integrity, uh, uh, treating them well in court and in life in general, uh, doing right things, not showing favoritism. We're going to get to that as we move on this morning. Finally, in verse 18, uh, we see from whence Jesus got this line that he's called us to, this commandment that all are to live by. In verse 18, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And one last time, God signs his name. You ever wonder what that means to love someone like you love yourself? Uh, I have. Let me tell you what I've sorted out as I've read. Everybody loves themselves. Some of us a little bit too much. Some of us can be prideful and arrogant in our love for ourselves. We can kind of stand in front of the mirror and be like, wow, you're amazing. I'm not talking about that kind of love, uh, an arrogant, prideful love. I'm talking about the, the kind of preserving and providing love that everyone has for themselves. Like uh, most of us here, if we get hungry, if we sense that we've gone too long without food, we don't wait for someone to bring us a spoonful of something. We go get it. We got our food in our homes. Perhaps there's one of these restaurants in the area that you are, you know, favorable towards. But if you're hungry, you feed yourself. If you're tired, do you take a nap? Some of you are like, well, no, I can't. I'm at work. Uh, but you, listen, if you get tired, you don't wait for someone to give you the go-ahead to go ahead and go to sleep. Matter of fact, as you age, some of you guys are younger than me, you're going to find that you're able to sleep just about anywhere. <laughs> I haven't mastered the standing up sleep thing, but I'm, I'm working on it. I'm trying to get there to where I can just nod off for 10 minutes like this. That'd be great. Wouldn't it be great? Because you put me in any chair, any airplane seat, uh, certainly any uh, you know, parallel or horizontal position, I can be out in 10 minutes. Just give me some time. But no one has to tell me to go to sleep. My body just needs sleep, and I, I do it. I'm a provider for myself. I'm a protector of myself. I give myself what I need so that I can have the life that I desire to have. And it's the same thing that God wants us to do. As, as we love others, we meet, we're, we're to love them as we love ourselves. Jesus said it a different way. Do unto others as you would have done unto you, right? Be someone who treats others and loves others as you love 
yourself. Most of us would sit here today and we would say that we love the idea of loving our neighbor. Matter of fact, we'd sit through most sermons and we'd be like, yeah, Mark, that's a great idea. Someone should get on that. I agree in theory to just, every, just about everything that comes out of your mouth, Mark. That, that's, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, but how many of us can say that we love our neighbor well? Maybe some of our neighbors. Some of our neighbors are easy to love, right? Like we look forward to loving those guys because they love us back or they do more for us than we do for them. It's easy to love those folks. Isn't it interesting that when, when Jesus tells us this commandment, even when he writes it or says it in Matthew chapter 22 or when we read it in Leviticus 19, there's no qualifier in front of neighbor. Love your really helpful neighbors. Love your really lovely neighbors. No, it just says love your neighbors as you love yourself. As we go through these next few weeks together talking about our neighbors, my prayer is that we will learn what it is to love our neighbors well. We will learn what it is to be true neighbors and to love them as we love ourselves. We can't go through a series like this without going to the text that talks the most about, I think, neighbors in the entire, uh, entirety of the New Testament. Jesus talks about what it is to be a neighbor in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, as he gives us the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan. Let me start reading there in verse 25. It says, behold, a lawyer stood up. They had apparently been sitting down as Jesus was teaching, and, and this lawyer um, wanted to be heard. And so in, in a crowd like this, like if, if one of you decided, you know, enough of you, Mark, let me ask you a question. You would just shoot up. And don't do this, by the way, because uh, you will be removed. But uh, um, <laughs> No, that's not true. But, but in, in that uh, environment, this guy just stood up and interrupted, apparently, Jesus' teaching and asked him this question. He wanted to put him to test. Um, uh, he, he asked this question in, in such a way that it would uh, maybe reveal a chink in, in our Savior's armor, that our Savior would answer poorly, and then he could tweet out the, uh, you know, the, the, the response that Jesus gave, and followers would fall off all over the place. And this is the question he asked. He says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a flawed question. Uh, he asks it from a very Jewish perspective because in the Jewish faith and in the Jewish religion, as with most of the religions of the world, um, us achieving eternal life comes from us doing the right things. Us doing enough of the right things to tip the, the balance of the scale towards uh, our righteousness uh, and us achieving eternal life. Uh, we know, if, or maybe we don't, if you're new to the Christ story, that, that's just not how it works. There's nothing that you and I could do to ever achieve eternal life. Our works, the Bible tells us, are like worthless, worthless rags when compared to the righteousness and holiness of a perfect God. That doesn't mean we don't try to honor God and strive to obey his commandments, but we shouldn't count on them as is the thing that determines our eternal destiny. Now, we as Christians don't count on what we can do, we count on what has been done. Uh, we look to a savior, his name is Jesus, he died on a cross and he paid the price, he did the work for us and we trust in him and his name to be saved. But he asks this question, what, what, what do I do? Teacher, what do I do to in inherit eternal life? Jesus is so great when he's questioned here in the Bible, uh, we see almost invariably he, he answers questions with questions. And so Jesus in verse 26 says to this guy, hey, you're a lawyer, what's written in the law? When we say lawyer here, we don't mean like Morgan and Morgan for the people, we're not talking about those kinds of lawyers. 
We're talking about experts in the law. And so he says, hey, you're, you're learned, you're studied. Uh, what, what do you know about the law? What does the law say? How do you read it uh, when it comes to answering your question? The lawyer says in verse 27, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And maybe he's just like looking around, you know, he's the only one standing. He's like, nailed it. Everybody see that? And Jesus says to him in verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Noticeably absent from Jesus' affirmation there is you will eternally live. Uh, I think he was careful to not double speak there. He says, but yeah, if you want a good life, if you want to live a life that would be honoring to God, yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, yeah. And then love others as you will love yourself. That's a, that's a, that is, that, that's wallet phone keys. Way to go, bro. <laughs> this would have been embarrassing for this lawyer. He had just asked a question that he knew the answer to. Like, why would he do that? Why, if you already knew the answer, just don't ask the question. He's been exposed. And so, Quickly, uh, desiring, it says here in verse 29, to justify himself, uh, he fires another question at our Savior. He says to Jesus, uh, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? It's a limiting question. He could have asked it this way. Who isn't my neighbor? If you want me to love my neighbors and I love myself, define neighbor for me. Who do I have to love and who can I skip out on when it comes to love? It's a very Jewish question, or very Jewish question. If you remember, uh, in Leviticus 19, it, says, uh, it talked there about the, the sons of God, uh, the, the family of God. It referred to neighbors as Jews themselves. And so already in his thinking, he thinks only the Jews, only the chosen ones of God are my true neighbors. But he's probably wondering, can I even shrink it down a little bit more? Because what about all those Jews who aren't really following God like they're supposed to? What about all those nominal Jews out there? Can we skip out on them? Now, in his mind, he's, he's certainly not considering, uh, you know, Gentiles, mongrel Jews like Samaritans. Uh, he's, he's asking Jesus, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but who is my neighbor? Who gets my love and who can I withhold my love from? Uh, Jesus doesn't answer with a question. He answers with a story, but he doesn't answer the question that the man asks. Instead, he answers this question. He answers the question, what does it take to be a true neighbor? Because he's going to go right past the whole limiting thing, who is my neighbor and who isn't. He's just going to say, you know what, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about you, bro. Instead of talking about the ones that you're going to either love or not, let's talk about you being the neighbor that you're supposed to be. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. What does it take to be a true neighbor? Jesus replied in verse 30, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Whenever you read down from Jerusalem... Don't think south, because we've been trained in maps and stuff like that. We think down is south. Down from Jerusalem is just elevation. You could go down north, down east, down west. You, you, Jerusalem was a city situated amongst seven high hills. The Temple Mount was one of them. And if you were leaving Jerusalem and the temple, you were going down no matter what direction you went. Jerusalem's here. Uh, Jericho is down here in the southeast part of Israel. It's about 13 miles from Jerusalem to Jericho. And so uh, this man is leaving Jerusalem and going down southeast to Jericho. This road was notorious for being the bad side of town. Bad things happened on this road. You would not normally travel it alone. You would go in packs for safety. 
but for the purposes of the story, this man leaves Jerusalem, heads to Jer- Jericho by himself, and he falls amongst robbers. And uh, those robbers stripped him down, they beat him, and they departed, taking all that he had, and they left him for, for dead. He was half dead. Uh, they removed from this guy any possible way of identifying themselves. His clothes would have been uh, a surefire sign of his, his place in society, whether he was rich or poor. Uh, if he had spoken, if he was able to speak and not unconscious, uh, you could tell what a guy was or where a guy was from by his dialect. Like if I say, pack the car, Mark, uh, let's go get some chowder. I'm from Boston, right? Uh, yeah, you know, forget about it, right? That's obviously Wisconsin. Anyway, uh, all kinds of dialects and accents give away a person's place or origin. And, and all of these things have been taken. His clothing's gone, his ability to speak or even identify himself and who he is, uh, they're all gone. And so here comes these passers-by. The first one, it tells us in verse 31, was a priest. Uh, uh, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. I've always heard uh, these uh, uh, verses preached this way, that the priest had been in Jerusalem, and this was just so you know, uh, a, a custom for, for all Jewish priests. They would serve throughout the nation of Israel uh, all of the year, except for about two weeks. Uh, they would actually go from wherever they were living and serving God in the synagogues in that place. They would go to, Isra- or to Israel's capital, Jerusalem, and they would serve in the temple and have their turn at, at, at being in the big house and uh, doing the sacrifices for the nation of Israel there. As a uh, uh, as this guy was leaving then, this is how it was always preached to me, he, would, he had been there for two weeks, he had become you know, ritually and ceremonially purified in his work there, and so he, seeing a, a seemingly dead man, did not want to lose his ceremonial purity, purity and so he just kind of walked around him. I was reading a book this week, and the guy says, well, it doesn't say that in the text. That's what we just always assumed. And I, I like this guy, he says, what if, what if this priest was just a jerk? Like, what if, what if he was just a selfish, uh, uh, uninterested, uncaring jerk? He wouldn't be the first priest or pastor to be that way. I mean, he carries the title. He preaches the messages. He knows the truth. But he wouldn't be the first one to have all of that and still not live it out. What if he was just a jerk? <laughs> thought that was interesting. Second guy comes along, and he's a Levite. Well, what's the difference between a Levite and a priest? Well, they're both from the tribe of Levi. Uh, only Levites could be priests, but not every Levite was a priest. Uh, some of them never ascended to that level of leadership, and so some of them kind of took secondary jobs uh, in the priesthood. And Levites uh, were kind of uh, the masters or the, uh, the, the handlers of the temple liturgy. They oversaw temple services. They took care of the details so that the priest could handle the sacrifices and the reading of the scrolls and things like that. They, they were the behind-the-scenes people. I'm so grateful for the many, many people who make our church run behind the scenes. Uh, that's what this person was like. As a, as a Levite, he came to the same place, it tells us in verse 32, and he saw him, and, and he as well passed by on the other side. It's a little different, though. The priest just kind of made the wide arc, all right? The Levite in the Greek basically comes up to the dude and bends over. And he looks at him, close enough to examine him. Some scholars think he was just checking to see if the guy was breathing. And upon seeing that maybe the guy was breathing, he says, okay, cool. 
not dead, I don't need to get involved. Someone else will help. Ever had that mentality when it came to your neighbor? I think uh, dads are notorious for this. Kids are out playing on the swing set. One of them falls off. They come in. Ah, my arm. Is it broke? I don't think so. Get back out there. Anybody ever had their dad tell them that? Little dirt don't hurt. My mom used to say this to me. Mom, my arm hurts. Well, I'll punch you in the other arm. You'll forget all about it. She was merciful. <laughs> in either case, uh, both of these men passed by. Now, here's where this kind of comes into our, our modern day world. Uh, there was a, a thing in, in, in the day uh, that Jesus is telling the story uh, that was a part of idioms or stories that would be told. Um, it was the rule of three. Now, we do it when we tell jokes. Anybody ever told a joke that starts like this? A priest, a pastor, and then somebody else going to a bar. Anybody ever tell something like this? It's always three guys. It's never seven. That's too long. It's too long a joke. You need three. You need two guys to kind of be the setup, and then the last guy's the punchline. Same thing in stories back in this day, the rule of three. All of the Jews listening to this story would be expecting the third guy to be the one that stops. And here's who they would be expecting in the story. Certainly the uppity priest would not be expected to stoop so low as to help this, you know, beaten stranger. Even the Levite couldn't be bothered. But here comes the hero, they expect. Joe Jew, Joe Average Jew. <laughs> yeah, no, anyway. He's going to come in and he's going to save the day. He's going to be the guy, the normal, just everyday average guy who comes in and meets the needs of this beaten stranger. But that's not what Jesus does. If you've read the story, that's not who comes, right? And Jesus immediately surprises his listeners. And he teaches us a very important principle in doing so. He teaches us that true neighbors love people that don't love them back. True neighbors love people regardless. They love people that don't love them back. Because here's what Jesus does. He says in verse 33, but a Samaritan, everybody in the room would have been like, <gasps> who? Excuse me? That's dumb. A Samaritan. That's Wayne's world. It's a stupid movie. Anyway, a Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. That word compassion there is something that we kind of just skip over and think, you know, okay, it's just Jesus bridging the story into the action that the Samaritan takes. But it's not just him, you know, being like semi-stirred and, you know, and, and tending to the needs of this guy. It actually speaks to the condition of his heart. He, he, was, he was desirous in helping this guy. He, he was moved by the guy's plight. And he just couldn't pass by. I think a lot of times when people read the Bible, they, they do things or think of things in terms of compulsion. I got to do this. It's, it's what the law says. It's what the, you know, the Bible says. I got to do this. But their heart never catches up with their hands or their heads. And here, the good Samaritan's heart is triggered. And he, in love, in compassion, acts on behalf of the man in need. <laughs> he threw a Samaritan in the story. Samaritans were enemies of the Jews. Uh, Samaritans were so reviled that uh, uh, just a few chapters before this, in chapter 9 of the book of Luke, uh, Jesus had been traveling through Samaria, which Jews did not do. Anybody remember the story of the woman at the well? Remember the discomfort that the, 
the, the disciples had that Jesus was talking to a Samaritan woman? Remember the Samaritan woman being like, why are you talking to me? It's because th- these two groups of people were completely opposed to each other. They didn't mix. They hated each other. Uh, the Jews had been taught by their rabbis uh, that to eat the bread of the Samaritans was to eat uh, the swine's flesh. And if you know anything about Jews, bacon is out of bounds. But if you ate the food that the Samaritan offered you, it would be just like you defiling yourself with the flesh of a pig. They were taught to pray uh, against the Samaritans. Jews were told to say this when they prayed, do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. How about that for a curse prayer, right? God, just don't even let them in. I don't want to spend eternity with those dirty Samaritans. Don't let them in. So Jesus takes an enemy of the man in need and he makes him the the hero, the savior, the neighbor. And his inference, don't miss it, is that Jews, given the same opportunity, should do what? They should care for the Samaritans if the Samaritans were found in the same situation. This rocked their worlds. In our day and age, it'd be like a a staunch left-wing liberal coming to the aid of a angry right-wing conservative, Nancy Pelosi, bailing out Donald Trump. (laughs) During the 1940s, this would be like Anne Frank coming to the aid of Adolf Hitler. In the 1800s in our nation, it would have been like a, a slave, an African slave, coming to the aid of his owner. It just wouldn't have been done culturally, Unexpected. Uh, Jesus erased the lines that neighbors uh, might have had. The, 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 The lawyer who had asked him the question, who's my neighbor? Jesus says, the very worst of men is your neighbor. The ones that you wouldn't have any dealings with, he's your neighbor. We need to move past hurts from previous interactions, forgive those who've offended us. We need to refuse to act in prejudice, which all prejudice is, is prejudging. And we need to see people as God sees people and love them as he loves them. Jesus taught in Matthew chapter five uh, a little bit more about this. He says, uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy and hate your neighbor. Um, Rabbis in those days had taken Leviticus 19, love your neighbor, all right, as you love yourself, and they had added to it what they had mathematically deduced to be the opposite. If you're gonna love your neighbor, make sure you hate your enemy. And they had taught that as truth. Jesus, throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount, had taken these false truths that had become customary, and he was flipping them back to where they were supposed to be. So he says in verse 44, he says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. You're going to be most like your Father God when you love and pray for your enemies. He quotes Ecclesiastes here. He says, For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If God is going to lavish his mercy and grace on the good and the bad, on the just and the unjust, then you show your love to all people as well. Second thing we find from the Good Samaritan story here is that true neighbors love even when it costs more than they thought. True neighbors, they love even if it costs more than they ever conceived they'd have to give. Verse 34 tells us that this Samaritan uh, goes to this man who's been beat up and he, he binds up his wounds. 
pouring on oil and wine. He probably took his own tunic because he wasn't probably carrying a first aid kit. He probably just had the clothes on his back and so he started ripping off shreds of his, you know, strips of his clothing so that he could bandage up the wounds of this man who was bleeding to death. He took perhaps some of the oil and the wine that he had bought for his family while he was in Jerusalem and he, he took that and used it as antiseptic and, and treatment for those wounds. He threw his, 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 uh, his strange, you know, stranger that he doesn't know the name of, he, he takes this guy, he sets him on his own animal and he brings him to an end and he takes care of him. Lots of people miss that part. He stays up with him the whole night because it tells us the next day he took out two denarii, which is probably about three weeks worth of groceries. Would have been plenty to cover his expenses there at the inn. And he gave them to the innkeeper and he said this, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you. And then what's it say? When I come back. Don't miss this. Because sure he leaves the money and he cares for him and tends to him and all this stuff, but he signs off on returning. He says, I'm coming back. This, he can't like text you know, the, the, the hotel and say, How, how's our buddy doing? He can't get on the phone and, and, and get progress reports. He has to get to Jerusalem. He has other things that he needs to do. But his full intent is to circle back and check on the well-being of this stranger that he still doesn't know. That's what a true neighbor is. True neighbors don't have an up to here. Has anybody got an up to here with people? I've had it up to here. I've given enough. This is it. It's my ceiling. We're done. True neighbors understand that God doesn't, and, and can we all be grateful that God doesn't have an up to here with us? They understand, true neighbors understand that that's God's love for us without an up to here, and they go to that extent in their love for others. As uh, usual, when I'm preparing to preach, God convicts me of things in my life, so I'll share with you a quick story. I uh, had the blessing with Eleanor to invite a, a young lady into our house uh, about six years ago. She uh, was homeless at the time, and, and so we gave her a place to live. She lived with us for 11 months, and, and we spent the better part of the last five or six years just kind of going through life with her, uh, having her as a part of our family. And uh, I'm sad to report that in the last year or so, uh, things have not been as great in that relationship. Some hard things happened, hurtful things occurred, and uh, we've kind of pulled away. Uh, created some boundaries uh, uh, over that time. Uh, God is sifting my heart in these regards because, in essence, what I've done in that relationship is I said, I've had it up to here. We're, you know, we, we've done enough, and, and someone else will pick up where we left off. Um, it may not be like it ever was uh, before, but I sense that, that we need to get back into loving and providing and honoring. Yeah, there they go. And, uh, and, and so that's what's gonna happen uh, here in the coming days uh, as we move forward. Jesus finishes off. That Never had that before. This is great. Uh, <laughs> Jesus finishes off in verse 36. He says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And, and uh, the Samar or excuse me, the, Jew the Jewish lawyer uh, he says this, the one who showed him mercy. Has anybody noticed this before? He wouldn't even say the word Samaritan. Jesus had clearly, uh, you know, said it was a Samaritan, but this guy wouldn't even say the guy's heritage. He just said uh, the mercy guy. And uh, Jesus said to him, yeah, you go. You be like him. You be a true neighbor. With the time that we have left, I just want to kind of talk to you about where we're going to go next in this series. And I want to talk about our neighbors. Certainly all seven point whatever billion people on the earth are God's loved. 
and, uh, and he wants us to be neighbors to all of them as, as we have the opportunity, and certainly your neighbors to your friends at school or to your coworkers. Or, but I want to talk about your actual neighbors, because here's what we want to kind of focus on with these next few sermons, that God has called us to love our actual neighbors. Paul was hanging out with some friends, new friends, in Athens in Acts chapter 17, and he was sharing the gospel with them, said some amazing things, that we don't serve a God who lives in boxes or in uh, temples built by hands. He doesn't need us. This is some great theology here in this text, but then he gets to these verses and he says, and he made from one man every nation of mankind, that one man being Adam, and then every nation came forth from him to live on all of the face of the earth, having determined, get this, allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. So basically Paul says, God uh, from one man gave us all the peoples, uh, but all of those peoples existed at the bidding of God. Like, like you and I, we live in this time because this is the time that God said you're going to live. Ricky, you're here because God said you're going to, whenever you were born, 1982, no, not really, uh, to, uh, you know, to wherever you're going to die, which I hope is a long way away. That, that's your spot. This is, this is, this is what you get. And it's going to be in this period of history according to God's will. Not only do we live at the time that we live according to God's will, but we live where we live according to God's will. So you live in Brandon, Florida, Valrico, Florida, Riverview, Florida, Thonona, Sasso, Florida, wherever you live. If you're visiting here today, you live where you live because God said that's where you're going to post up. At this time in your life, for this period of life, so says me. Now let me tease that out a little bit more. Guess what? God didn't just do that in your life. God did that in everybody's life that lives near you. So God appointed all of your neighbors to live near your house at this time for his purposes, for his reasons. And here's what I'm going to posit throughout this rest of this series, is that you live where you are with who you live near because God wants to use you in their lives to show them his love. This commandment to love our neighbors as we love ourselves is meant to be lived out in the lives of those people around you. But if you're like me, you're a, you're a waver neighbor. Anybody here a waver neighbor? Like I know that person's car, he knows my car, we pass each other as he's walking his dog or he's taking his trash out. And we just do the courteous, hey person I don't care to know, how you doing? And we move on from there. In your bulletins, there's a, a, a handout. It looks like this. Uh, it's got this, these boxes on it. We're going to do this real quick. I'll let you go a little bit early this morning, as fast as you can go. Uh, not really. Anyway, uh, put, put your name on the you are here. You're, that's you. And think about your neighborhood. Think about your apartment complex. Think about the people who live near you. List off. It doesn't have to be this you know, grid if you have a long street with a bunch of houses, whatever. But list off as many people's names as you know that live near you. You got 20 seconds, write them all down. And, and, and if you know several family members in that family, list their names too, but write them all down. Go. Did you get any? How many people got at least one? How many people got two? How many people filled all the boxes? Friendly. You're friendly. Who else? Anybody else? Look at all the friendly people. Way to go. Uh, I had five. Two of them go to our church. One of them is one of our elders. 
And the other two are their, uh, their, son, or their daughter and son-in-law. So I can't count them because I knew them before I moved there. But I only know two other neighbors. Uh, I don't know if that's great. I don't think it's great at all. I, I, I'm a waiver with a lot of them. Like I know, I know a guy who's got way too many bumper stickers on his garbage can. Does anybody know this guy? He like wants to identify his own garbage can, so he's got like 60 garbage can stickers or, or bumper stickers on his garbage can. And like, I, I've seen him. I'm like, oh, you're the guy with the stickers. Okay. I can correlate, but I don't know names. So here's what we're going to do with the rest of our time. We're, we're going to basically uh, have this progression hopefully happen with us as we talk about loving our neighbors. We're going to go from a friendly wave to a, to a hey man. Hey man. Just a friendly hey man. And then uh, as, as God gives us opportunity, we're going to learn the person's name. So our hey man's going to become a hey Mike. And from our hey Mike, we're going to go to hey Mike, how are you doing? We're going to actually pause long enough to go past just a, a quick greeting to find out who this person is and what's going on in their lives. And then from hey Mike, how are you doing? We're going to go to Hey, Mike, can you help me for a second? Because I'll tell you, that is a key to getting into your neighbor's lives. If, if you can get them to help you, and, or you can go and help them, which is another great way, uh, all of a sudden you're doing life. But I love to get the neighbors to help me. Uh, I, was, uh, <laughs> I was up by the, the front of our, our property uh, cutting down some limbs, and I had this little three-and-a-half-inch uh, rotary saw. It's kind of like one of those ones that you get with a drill when you buy a drill set or something like that. And I was cutting down these you know, two-and-three-inch long, you know, or thick branches, and it was taking me forever. No kidding, right? And my neighbor John walks out to get his mail, and he looks at me and says, what are you doing? And I was like, well, I just thought I'd clear these off so I didn't hit my truck with them all the time. And he says, what are you using? And I says, this is, you know, here it is, right? And he's like, hang on. And he goes to his garage, and John's got all the best tools in the world, and he brings out this, you know, El Toro, I don't know what it was, but it was this, like, branch severer and he just, you know, he comes out there and he does in 10 minutes would have taken me three hours. And I'm like, we're friends. You and me are friends. <laughs> and he laughs at me and he thinks I'm adorable when I do stupid stuff like that. And, <laughs> and I let him help me. And we've gotten to the point that when he had his heart attack a month ago, Eleanor and I were visiting him and his wife in the hospital. And, 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 and that's what I hope for all of us, that we get past just, hey, man, to, hey, Mike, and hey, Mike, how are you doing? And hey, Mike, can I help you? Can you help me? And hey, Mike, I saw that your son moved back in. How, how's that going? That we get to levels where we're loving people. And don't think that we're just getting in lo- in, into situations where we can, you know, draw that spiritual target on the back of our neighbors and be like, I'm going to win you for the kingdom. You don't even have a choice. <laughs> they're, they're not our projects. They're people. And we, we listen, I want us to share the gospel with as many people as we can before Jesus comes back or we go to see him. Please don't hear me say that we shouldn't share the gospel. We should. But I think people will hear the gospel best when we, they know that we care, when they know that we love them. And I would, I would submit that most of you are sitting here, unless you grew up in a, a Christian home and your parents shared the gospel with you. If, you. if you came to Christ from a family that had nothing to do with church or God, uh, you probably came to Christ because somebody was your neighbor. And loved you enough to tell you about Jesus. Or loved you enough to invite you to a church like this. And that's how you came to Christ. Through the love of a friend, of a neighbor. That's what I hope happens. If we can just love our neighbors as we love ourselves, Jesus will work through us and draw men to himself. Amen? So, may you and I, as we go through this series, as we talk uh, even about a hashtag here. I'll throw out a hashtag. We'll talk more about it next week. Hashtag be one Brandon. Uh, we're going to label all of our neighboring, neighboring experiences with that hashtag. But, but, but as we seek to, 
to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, we'll pray that God shows himself to them because we have loved them. Let's pray for that right now. God, thanks so much for a chance to honor you in life. And uh, as we you know, walk through this next few weeks talking about being the best neighbors that we can be, about being true neighbors, uh, neighbors who love regardless of whether or not they're, we're, we're loved back or neighbors who love uh, extravagantly and, and, and have no care for the cost uh, that it uh, bears on us. Uh, help, us, help us to do it, Lord, not out of compulsion, but out of compassion. Help us to, to love you as, as, a, as, a, as our first rule and our first commandment, but to, to show it, our love for you, as we love others. Um, use us in this community uh, to make a difference uh, for your kingdom. And as uh, Darnisha was uh, leading us this morning in her prayer, may we see your kingdom come. May we see what's done in heaven, done here on earth. Uh, as, as you use us as the neighbors were meant to be. I pray all this in Jesus' name. And everybody said with me, amen. amen.